Chapter 22 of The Missing Bride This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Missing Bride by E.D.E.N. Southworth Chapter 22 Petticoat Discipline When the sulky sleighing party reached Luckenough, they found Commodore Waugh not only up and waiting, but in the highest state of self-satisfaction, a blessing of which they received their full share of benefit, for the old man, in the overflowing of his joy, had ordered an oyster supper, which was now all ready to be served smoking hot to the chilled and hungry sleigh-riders. "'I wonder what's out now,' said Jacquelina, as she threw off her wrappings, scattering them heedlessly on the chairs and floor of the hall. Some awful calamity has overtaken some of Uncle Nick's enemies. Nothing on earth but that ever puts him into such a jolly humor. Now we'll see. I wonder if it's a crowner's quest case. Wish it was grim. Mrs. Henrietta blessed her stars for the good weather, without inquiring very closely where it came from, as she conducted Marian to a bedroom to lay off her bonnet and mantle. It was only at the foot of his own table, after ladling out and serving around the stewed oysters, hot and hot, at the Commodore, rubbing his hands and smiling until his great face was as grotesque as a nutcracker's, announced that Miss Nancy Scamp was turned out of office, yea, discrowned, unsceptered, dethroned, and that Harry Barnwell reigned in her stead. The news had come in that evening's mail. All present breathed more freely, all felt an inexpressible relief in knowing that the post office would henceforth be above suspicion, and their letters and papers safe from desecration. Only Marian said, what will become of the poor old creature? By St. Judas Iscariot, that's her business. No, indeed, I think it's ours. Some provision should be made for her, Commodore War. I'll recommend her to the trustees of the almshouse, Miss Mayfield. Marian thought it best not to pursue the subject then, but resolved to embrace the first opportunity of appealing to the Commodore's smothered chivalry in behalf of a woman old, poor, feeble, and friendless. During the supper, Dr. Grimshaw sat up stiff and solemn. Jacquelina said, as if he'd swallowed the poker and couldn't digest it, when they rose from the table and were about leaving the dining-room, Dr. Grimshaw glided in a funereal manner to the side of the Commodore and demanded a private interview with him. Not to-night, Nace, not to-night. I know by your looks what it is. It's some new deviltry of Jacquelina's. That can wait. I'm as sleepy as a whole cargo of opium. I would not stop to talk now to Paul Jones if he was to rise from the dead and visit me. And the professor had to be content with that, for almost immediately the family separated for the night. Marian, attended by the maid, Maria, sought the chamber assigned to herself. When she had changed her tight-fitting day-dress for a wrapper, she dismissed the girl, locked the door behind her, and then drew her chair up before the little fire and fell into deep thought. Many causes of anxiety pressed heavily upon Marian. That Thurston had repented his hasty marriage with herself, she had every reason to believe. She had confidently hoped that her explanation with Thurston would have resulted in good, but alas, it seemed to have had little effect. 
his attentions to Miss Leroy were still unremitted, the young lady's partiality was too evident to all, and people already reported them to be engaged. And now, as Marian sat by her little wood-fire in her chamber at Luckenough, bitter, sorrowful questions arose in her mind. Would he persist in his present course? No, no, it could not be. This was probably done only to pique herself. But then it was carried too far. It was ruining the peace of a good, confiding girl. And Jacquelina, she had evidently mistaken Dr. Grimshaw for Thurston, and addressed to him words arguing a familiarity very improper, to say the least of it. Could he be trifling with poor Jacquelina, too? Jacko's words, when believing herself addressing Thurston, certainly denoted some such foregone conclusions. Marian resolved to see Thurston once more, once more to expostulate with him, if happily it might have some good effect, and having formed this resolution, she knelt and offered up her evening prayers and retired to bed. The next day being Holy Thursday, there was, by order of the trustees, a holiday at Miss Mayfield's school, and so Marian arose with the prospect of spending the day with Jacquelina. When she descended to the breakfast room, what was her surprise to find Thurston Wilcoxon, at that early hour, the sole occupant of the room. He wore a green shooting jacket, belted around his waist. He stood upon the hearth with his back to the fire, his gun leaned against the corner of the mantelpiece, and his game-bag dropped at his feet. Marian's heart bounded, and her cheek and eye kindled when she saw him, and for the instant all her doubts vanished. She could not believe that guilt lurked behind a countenance so frank, noble, and calm as his. He stepped forward to meet her, extending his hand. She placed her own in it, saying, I'm very glad to see you this morning, dear Thurston, for I have something to say to you which I hope you will take kindly from your Marian, who has no dearer interest in the world than your welfare. Marian, if it's anything relating to our old subject of dispute, Miss Leroy, let me warn you that I will hear nothing about it. Thurston, the subjects of a neighborhood's gossip, are always the very last to hear it. You do not perhaps know that it's commonly reported that you and Miss Leroy are engaged to be married, and you give a ready ear and ready belief to such injurious slanders. No, heaven knows I do not. I will not say that my heart has not been tortured fully as much as your own would have been, dear Thurston, had the case been reversed and had I stooped to receive from another such attentions as you have bestowed upon Miss Leroy. But upon calm reflection, I fully believe that you could never give that young lady my place in your heart, than having known and loved me. Marian paused, but the soul rose like a day-star behind her beautiful face, lighting serenely under her white eyelids, glowing softly on the parted lips, and blooming cheeks. I, having known and loved me, there again spoke the very enthusiasm of self-worship. But how know you, Marian, that I do not find such regnant superiority wearisome, that I do not find it refreshing to sit down quietly beside a lower, humbler nature whose greatest faculty is to love, whose greatest need to be loved? How do I know it? by knowing that higher nature of yours which you now ignore. 
yet it is not of myself that i wish to speak but of her thurston you pursue that girl for mere pastime i am sure with no ulterior evil purpose i am certain yet thurston she said involuntarily pressing her hand tightly upon her bosom i know how a woman may love you and that may be death or madness to angelica which is only whim and amusement to you and thurston you must go no further with this culpable trifling you must promise me to see her no more must upon my soul you take state upon yourself fair queen thurston a higher authority than mine speaks by my lips it is the voice of right you will regard it you will give me that promise and if i do not oh there is no time to argue with you longer someone is coming i must be quick it is two weeks thurston since i first urged this upon you i have hesitated already too long and now i tell you though my heart bleeds to say it that unless you promise to see angelica no more i will see and have an explanation with her to-morrow you will you can prevent it dearest thurston by yourself doing what you know to be right and if i do not i will see miss leroy to-morrow by heaven then his words were suddenly cut short by the entrance of mrs waugh in an instant his countenance changed and taking up his bag of game he went to meet the smiling good-humored woman saying with a gay laugh good morning mrs waugh you see i've been shooting in the woods of luck enough this morning and i could not leave the premises without offering this tribute to their honored mistress and thurston gaily laid the trophy at her feet Hebe, will you please to see that a cup of hot coffee is sent up to Mrs. Lasso? She is unwell this morning, as I knew she would be from her excitement last night. Or go with it yourself, Hebe. The presence of the goddess of health at her bedside is surely needed. Marian left the room, and then Mrs. Waugh, turning to the young gentleman, said, Thurston, I'm glad to have this opportunity of speaking to you, for I have something very particular to say, which you must hear without taking offense at your old auntie. Humph! I'm in for petticoat discipline this morning beyond a doubt, thought the young man, but he only bowed and placed a chair for Mrs. Waugh. I will speak very plainly, Thurston. Oh, by all means, as plainly as you please, Mrs. Waugh, said Thurston with an odd grimace. I'm growing accustomed to have ladies speak very plainly to me. Well, it won't do you any harm, Thurston. And now to the point. I told you before that you must not show any civility to Jacquelina. And now I repeat it, and I warn you that if you do, you will cause some frightful misfortune that you will have to repent all the days of your life, if it be not fatal, first of all, to yourself. I do assure you that old Grimshaw is mad with jealousy. He can no longer be held responsible for his actions, and in short, you must see Jacquelina no more. Phew! A second time this morning. Come, I'm getting up quite the reputation of a lady-killer, thought the young man. Then, with a light laugh, he looked up to Mrs. Waugh and said, My dear madam, do you take me for a man who would willingly disturb the peace or honor of a family? Pshaw! by no means my dear thurston of course i know it's all the most ridiculous nonsense well by the patience of job i do think again thurston's words were suddenly cut short by the entrance of the commodore who planted his cane down with his usual emphatic force and said oh sir you hear i'm very glad of it there's a little matter to be discussed between you and me old hen leave us vanish evaporate henrietta was well pleased to do so 
and as she closed the door, the Commodore turned to Thurston, and with another emphatic thump of his cane said, Well, sir, a small craft is soon rigged, and a short speech soon made. In two words, how dare you, sir, make love to Jacquelina? My dear uncle, by Neptune, sir, don't uncle me, I ask you how you dare to make love to my niece. Sir, you mistake, she made love to me. You impudent, impertinent, unprincipled jackanape. Come, said Thurston to himself, I have got into a hornet's nest this morning. I shall take very good care, sir, to have Major Leroy informed what sort of a gentleman it is who is paying his addresses to his daughter. Miss Leroy will be likely to form a high opinion of me before this week is out, said Thurston, laughing. You, you graceless villain, you cried the Commodore in a rage. To think that I had such confidence in you, sir, defended you upon all occasions, sir, refused to believe in your villainy, sir, refused to close my doors against you, sir, yes, sir, and should have continued to do so but for last night's affair. Last night's affair, I protest, sir, I do not in the least understand you. Oh, you don't. You don't understand that after the lecture last evening, in leaving this place, Jacquelina thrust her arm through yours, no, I mean through Grimm's, mistaking him for you, and said what she never would have said had there not been an understanding between you. Thurston's face was now the picture of astonishment and perplexity. The Commodore seemed to mistake it for a look of consternation and detected guilt, for he continued, And now, sir, I suppose you understand what it is to follow. Do you see that door? It leads straight out into the hall, which leads directly through the front portal, out into the lawn, and on to the highway. That is your road, sir. Good morning. And the Commodore thumped down his stick and left the room, the image of righteous indignation. Thurston nodded, smiled slightly, drew his tablets from his pocket, tore a leaf out, took his pencil, laid the paper upon the corner of the mantelpiece, wrote a few lines, folded the note, and concealed it in his hand as the door opened, and admitted Mrs. Waugh, Marian, and Jacquelina. There was a telegraphic glance between the elder lady and the young man. That of Mrs. Waugh said, Do have pity on the fools and go, Thurston. That of Thurston said, I'm going, Mrs. Waugh, and without laughing, if I can help it. Then he picked up his shooting cap, bowed to Jacquelina, shook hands with Mrs. Waugh, and pressing Marion's palm, left within it the note that he had written, took up his game bag and gun, and departed. End of chapter 22